Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers born in three generations talk about their one shared obsession, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and today Jeremy, Christian, and I talk second fiddles, the Keith songs, and try to figure out what exactly that means. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at the Brother Pod for more info. And if you like what you hear, please take the time to rate us on iTunes and write a review for us. We promise to thank you personally. Now let's talk second fiddles, the Keith songs. Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and it's a true Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, and I have got both Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis with me. And tonight we're talking about second fiddles. Um, this is a conversation Jeremy and I have had for a long time. Um, you know, we used to sort of uh, alternately call them second fiddle songs and the Keith songs, which was a catch-all for songs that were sort of done by someone in the band other than the front man, who, you know, somebody was singing and performing the song. Uh, other than the front man. And uh, then Christian joined the conversation and sc- really screwed it up uh, by actually asking <laughs> us to, to define what the hell we meant by a second fiddle song. And then we went scrambling. So, um, yeah, Christian, uh, what was your question? What is a second fiddle song? Well, you know, thank you for asking, because I spent, I think, the first 30-some-odd years of my life uh, with an absolutely flawless definition of this that I never actually had to state out loud and and now that you've asked um we've gone we've gone scattering uh lines have become blurred (laughs) exactly it's sort of like when someone asks you what you've been watching or what you've been listening to um you know we started off by you know sort of uh referring to these as the Keith songs and I still uh would say that you know that is the quintessential version of a uh second fiddle song it's uh, not that Keith really feels like the second fiddle in the stunts, and even that, you know, then got me second guessing everything I ever thought about this. But yeah, some of the songs that you know, look forward to, there there seemed to be one Keith Richard song on every Rolling Stones album, especially during the great run in the late '60s, early '70s, and you know, Happy, uh, Before They Make Me Run, You Got the Silver, um, and so these are all so these are all songs that are sung by Keith Richards is is the quintessential point here, right? Like the whoever's writing them in the band or whatever. But like the the point is that you know you have a lead singer, you have a front man, and then it's these it's the second guy sort of steps into the spotlight for a minute and sings his song and then retires back to the spotlight. Yeah, it's exactly. it's, it's like the toy and the Happy Meal. You know, you uh, <laughs> you have the, the, the main the main course of fries and chicken nuggets or whatever your fancy is, and then you get the toy. Yeah, exactly. And but I also think like, that oh, you know look, curled up in the corner of the box. <laughs> <Keith Richards>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, okay. I, I think that the main thing with Keith and why uh, I think Keith probably started this conversation, don't you? When I mean, I think the fact that. You know, happy being a song that everybody loves. Keith also being, to your your point, like a, an integral part of the Stones, but just not a lead. But you don't necessarily want Keith singing 
10 it's Stone amazing. songs. It's, you it's, want it's, them singing you know, one, you know? The Stones are, I mean, you know, despite the fact that there are other long-standing members of the Stones, the Stones are Mick and Keith. I mean, that is the thing. And for whatever reason, the allocation of songs, whether it was, you know, I mean, because Keith, you seem to have a lot of input on the writing, um, you know, it, it, uh, and the, uh, it just seems that, uh, you know, he, he got one song to sing lead per album and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't always the last song. It wasn't, you know, always a, a single. It was, uh, that it was really kind of, you know, ran the gamut from like, you know, throw away like old blues covers to, you know, really featured songs like happy and, and, you know, to my way of thinking before they make me run is my favorite song on some girls. Um, I guess another band that would kind of, um, that we can pull out to sort of help illustrate this is R.E.M. because R.E.M., obviously Michael Stipe, front man, uh, but Mike Mills sort of sang lead. Again, it was, yeah, I know. <laughs> get, your, get your dagger out, Christian. Um, but, you know, Mike Mills always had one song per album, and, and same in the case for, uh, as in with the case for uh, Keith, the Mike Mills songs were always good. So it wasn't like, you know, you, you were like, okay, you can, you can sing lead on this one, and everybody just grinned and Bared it, or and it wasn't in this in these cases like it seemed like the guy was, you know, had a knife at the back of the of the singer because he wanted to be the front man. It seemed like a really comfortable uh, arrangement that everybody had. Well, um, I, so I think you, you said you said also though that you think like you wouldn't necessarily want a full album of Keith songs, right? Exactly. Well, I think I yeah. think the poet proved that many times over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that would be that would, that would be solo. songs in the Keith of life. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that's like uh, so okay. So and that's yeah, I mean I guess it's also like. Played- there's a reason the Stones were playing Giant Stadium while Keith was playing, you know, the Felt Forum. You know, um, right. okay. people love, and but they're they're equally loved, and in, in a lot of cases, it seems, you know, by well, and, and I think Stones both guys, Ari, Mike Mills, and, and Keith, and I think that's why they're sort of let's call Keith the King and Mike Mills the Queen of Second Fiddles. <laughs> and well, um, you know, I think one of the big things with these guys, if you listen to early REM and you obviously those Stone that period of the Stones they're musically a huge part of those bands. So that sound would not be there without Keith or Mills, but they don't have strong voices. So one song is great and they're good. And it's, it's kind of, you know, and Keith's case, yeah, it's a change up. It's real. Yeah. It's a current, it's a, what do you call it? A, uh, my pitching analogies are are lost, but a change up. Right. So an off speed pitch. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But, it's a different um, podcast, but yeah, no, I think the, uh, but I guess the other question is like, does the front man in this, um, in this context, like the other reason that, you know, practically speaking, you can't have a whole album of Keith songs is because Mick Jagger wouldn't have anything to do, uh, and, or, or, you know, or anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, but you know, it's like, he would just, he can't just be standing there. So, no. you know, part of the cool concert experience is that like. It's true. Um, but, you know, it's like part of the cool concert experience. And, and, you know, I say this having seen them twice in the 90s um, when they were probably approaching their 90s. But, um, <laughs> you know, the was the fact that, like, a guy who's been so engaging and, like, so charismatic and just such an incredible performer would actually step back and sort of take a more subdued background role. And, like, that has, you know, the the, like the absence of his presence also has presence, if that makes sense. And it sort of allow you know, it creates space for, for Keith and it like, it really draws attention to it in an interesting way. I thought. Well, I, I think, think too, Keith is 
such a, a part of the, I mean, like I said earlier, wrote so much of that stuff. There's a great <clears throat> article I read in Vandy Fairwild back on the Goathead Soup article, and it was a, I forget the photographer's name, who was following them on that tour. And uh, I guess she, like, you know, was backstage and sort of bounced up and down and was like, oh, I love this song. It's one of Keith's songs. And it was, you know, they were ripping into Happy, and, and you know, one of the groupies turned to her and was like, they're all Keith's songs, babe. <laughs> Just like, you know, I mean, Keith was the mastermind, and, and Mick was the front man, I think, much like The Who. Yeah, well, I mean, The Who's another interesting spot. I mean, The Who seems to be the, the uh, you know, a little bit of a variation on it because I, I think Pete Townsend understood that he couldn't sing and found a front man uh, for his band, you know that that always seemed to be the the dynamic in that band. Rather that, that it was always an uneasy tension, rather than you know everybody sort of fitting solidly into their role, which I think is the Stones. I mean, there's also I mean we were talking too about the Pixies. I mean, Gigantic is a great second fiddle song, I think. Whereas mm. you know Dave Lovering singing La La Love You seemed like didn't seem like a second fiddle song to me. It's like a novelty song, you know, kind of song. It's a Ringo like song. song. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. Um, so maybe the... Like, well, I was just thinking about, like, you know, maybe the um, second fiddle then in something like The Who would be... Would it be like John Entwistle? He did sing a couple, yeah, did. A couple of songs, but he only... I mean, he sang probably as many songs as Keith Moon did, which is, you know, a handful. I mean, like two each, I think, probably. But well, okay, I think um, that's... He, no, I think Sorry, go ahead. I think I was thinking more of the Who, you know, because Pete Townsend probably sang, probably, you know, I mean, he sang a lot, but he was writing all the songs, so it does have. I guess there is sort of that dynamic. It felt like Pete Townsend's band, where he wasn't getting the spotlight, um, as opposed to the Stones, which was, I believe, a you know, felt like a collaborative partnership, where there was, you know, accurately or. Uh, Appropriately, there people were having had different roles. Um, I, does that make sense? Yeah, sort of. I think we're part of the way there. <laughs> we're scratching um, the surface. I think, yeah, I think there's a little more. Where I've got a couple of uh, a couple of big examples that I want to run past you um, in a minute, and sort of get your sense on on whether um, whether they uh, whether they constitute um, second fiddles. So, uh, should we take a quick break, and then we can uh, we can come back to that? Sure. Cool. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we're talking second fiddles. 
So, so far, I think we, uh, we have a, a sort of working definition going for, for second fiddles here. Um, we've, we've established that it is a secondary guy in a band. Um, so that's sort of the Keith Richards, Mike Mills thing, not the lead singer. Um, a second fiddle song needs to be a good song. And with second fiddles, you wouldn't necessarily want a whole album of it. Uh, the songs in the Keith of Life. Um, so I guess my, my question is, uh, you know, are Christine McVie and Fleetwood Mac, Carl Barat and the Libertines, and Ben Orr from the Cars, like, do they constitute second fiddle songs, or do they make them? I, to me, those are, I mean, I, you know, this is where we sort of, I kind of feel like those are multi-singer bands. Uh, what do you think, Jer? <clears throat> yeah, it's tough. I mean, I agree with you. I like to think of the idea of, I mean, let's just take Fluid Mac. It's a little more defined by three singers that, that have their own hits. And, you know, I think Stevie Nicks and, and Lindsey Buckingham certainly are the, the primaries and then Christy McVie is the secondary but McVeigh, but she, you know, but she has hits and she had, you know, well, two or three actually, songs each album. See, I always think of it as, as they're, you know, a multi-singer band, but now that you're talking about it, I think... Like, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like by the, by my own definition, which is rapidly uh, revolving, evolving. Um, by writing Christian. it down on paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this sucks. <laughs> this is like home. Um, but, uh, you know, to me, actually, you know, Buckingham and Nicks, who came in as one package, you know, when they joined Fleetwood Mac, um, they kind of, to me, constitute the sound of the 70s Fleetwood Mac. And then Christine McVie is the change-up. So, you know, I've always thought right. of Christine McVie as being the third singer in that band and not really being a, a second fiddle. Um, but it, I guess by my own, by my own definition, um, I'm doing what I've done uh, a lot in my life, which is contradicting myself a little bit. Um, Carl Barat, I think, again, two-singer band, although, you know, there's a dominant figure in that band. I guess Ben Orr is kind of the same, I mean, same way, although Ben Orr sang a lot more of the hits than most people think. Ben Orr of, of the Cars, being the bass player of the Cars. Um, so, you know, Rick so Ocasek, the, I think, got credit for, or, you know, deservedly got credit for writing a lot of those songs, but, it, you know, Ben Orr really sings a lot of their hits, so it's kind of a strange... So I never the, thought of him as being a second fiddle. The difference maybe between Carl Barat and Ben Orr, um, as I was thinking about it, was, like, Carl Barat tends to sing on a lot of the songs and like he joins in and sings you know equal share in a song or even takes the dominant share but they still a lot of their songs are actually like two-person songs you know you have one sort of lead singer but like you've you've got other like um, a point counterpoint yeah yeah exactly um where like x if i haven't mentioned x yet in this podcast uh, I you think never yeah, have, no. Actually, <laughs> um, shockingly, we haven't gotten there yet. Um, but then, uh, but the cars, um, you know, the cars. It's like Ben Orr actually just took the hits and he sang them. It was like it's kind of weird. Well, he um, was a better singer. I think it was the same thing as like. Why didn't he sing all their songs? Because there were certain songs that sounded that had a, like a uh, Rico Kasich was a was a very <laughs> no Rico Kasich a was the you know singer in the sort of driving force. But I think too, like. He had a cool voice. He had a different kind of a voice. Not whereas, like, you know, as opposed to Pete Townsend. Ben Orr, the cleaner voice. A really dead voice, Um, you know, which sounds cool sometimes, but you can't can't carry a a hit with with, uh, that kind of a voice. That's thin. Yeah, and Rico Casey, I believe me, I know from seeing live footage of the cars, has a very thin voice, very kind of, but he had, like, a, a cool, like, a stylized delivery that was different than... Uh, ben Orr's, which was more straight ahead, like a, you know, 
good pop singer kind of voice. So I think he handed off some of the songs that were just, you know, itching to be uh, sung more heartily. This is my my theory, uh, not having been in the studio with with the Cars, but that's what it always seemed like to me, that he took some of the songs that required a stronger voice and, and... and had Ben Orr sing them. Okay, so so to recap here, then the the Fleetwood Mac um, might might have a second fiddle, but we're the jury's still out on that one. Um, when it comes to the liberty, we're, we're leaning like, towards second <laughs> fiddle on that one. We're leaning towards second fiddle. Okay, so Jeremy, you've won that round. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. for Cobb Brat and Ben Orr, Ben Orr isn't because he sang too many songs in in many respects. No. Um, I think he had the same, uh, I'm trying to think what the good, and I guess it's sort of, yeah, kind of like, it's hard to, yeah, I think he sang too many hits. (laughs) He sang too many hits. I was trying to think of who the other guy was that did that, and it was sort of, there's some 70s examples of that, like BTO and and Blue Oyster Cult, where like the guy wasn't traditionally the singer, but he managed to sing a disproportionate (laughs) number of hits. The songs so anybody was, heard, yeah. Yeah, the songs that people know, you know, it's it's a weird thing. I mean, Well, the songs, and particularly the songs you know if you don't buy the album back at a time when, like, right. you know, yeah. Okay. Um, the, the songs on classic rock. And then so, there's a weird dynamic, like, with the Yola Tango, who's one of our favorite bands, you know, where there is there are the Georgia Hubley songs, and it doesn't sound like, it doesn't feel like you should distinguish them as second fiddles because they're a married couple. And then there's, a you know, James McNew, who actually sings a couple of songs and he is definitely a second fiddle. Um, well then I, and I think that falls into a, a different, just to blur the lines even more, a different category of great songs, but they're one off. So it's like, a, like I think you mentioned uh, La La Love You by the Pixies earlier, David, Dave Lovering. That's a, it's a, it's a fantastic song by the drummer. Right. And then you've got like Stockholm Syndrome by James McNew by, Yola, you know, within Yola Tango. And that's, you know, a, a great example of just sort of, he doesn't have anything else that I can think of. I know he sings on Mr. Tough and stuff, but Mr. that's Tough, really just yeah. sort of his song. And, uh, you know, and that goes like that. Or Beth, come on, by Peter Chris. I mean, oh, yeah. is there, you Does know. Does your but, mother know by ABBA with Bjorn <laughs> singing lead? <laughs> the one time. And, and so, whereas like a Keith, a uh, Kim Deal, a, you know, Mike Mills, um, and even a Christine McVie were integral parts of those bands and sort of created a sound with, with the lead. I think yeah. uh, these guys really just show up for one great, great tune. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, you know, I mean, the other, the other ones I, I think of, uh, you know, when I, I mean, you know, thinking about two, I mean, there's another whole subcategory here that would screw everything up, which is the, you know, the sort of vocal bands like Mamas and the Papas and um, ABBA. Know, ABBA, truly. The there was a band in the 80s, I think, called not, X. Not a very instrumental yeah. band. <laughs> X, yes. Another husband <laughs> and wife team that I... Uh, I mean, 11th Dream Day, uh, who I really liked from Chicago. They were kind of like that. But then again, there was... But then there was the, you know, sort of, like, Husker Du, which was a straight down the middle 50-50 split, it felt like. Um, I don't know that that's true, was it? I mean, you would know better than close. I would, but, like, you always yeah. say... Okay, I always think of them as being, like, much... You know, Especially um, on like um, New Day Rising, Flip Your Wig, and those those are well, pretty good, close to being. I think it's different down the middle. when you know a band begins, uh, um, you know, as a, a sort of a fifty fifty split, and then somebody takes over the more dominant role. And I think by the end of 
you know, circumstantially, by the end of Husker Du, Bob Mould was a much greater force in that band. Also, you know, circumstances being what they were, I don't think Grant Hart was in much of a a place to to be contributing the way he was at the beginning. Um, but I think that uh, um, I think Husker that was a little du, cryptic. Was that a, a for those of us who don't know? <laughs> it was a junkie. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> by the end of the, you know, by the time they uh, sort of crashed and burned as a as a major label band, so um, it was you know it was drug related that kind of took him up. But I thought okay. you know I really liked him as a singer and a songwriter um, for you know most of their career. I it think was really just the I was going to say he fell off. Yeah, I mean. I love Bob Mool, but some of my favorite Who's Could Do songs are certainly Grand Hart. Grand Hart. It's songs. another situation and, and then, too. Oh, I was just gonna say it's another situation too, where one guy has a more uh, distinct, uh, you know, vocal delivery style, and one guy has, you know, Grant Hart actually is more of a pure, better singer. Yeah, I didn't know for a long time that there were two different singers in that band. Um, I, but I think that, I mean, that was, that was really, de- I, that was, you know, the first year and a half that I listened to them, all I could hear was just the, like, roaring guitars, basically, which is like the, you know, it's like that, a flying that literally, game. yeah, that literally took, like, a, a full year and a half of attention from me, so, um, but then you mentioned, you mentioned vocal acts a few minutes ago, and I wanted to go back to this, because I do think that there are a couple of examples of, like, um, and the Beach Boys being one in particular, where... Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Al Hardeen and, and like Help Me Rhonda. Like that's a that sounds to me like by your definition like the a perfect second fiddle song, right? Yeah, I guess it is, but you know, it's always so, you know, I they they everybody in that band sang lead it felt, you know, I mean there was, you know, um so the, you know, having Al Hardeen have like that one huge hit is kind of a an outlier, but they all, you know, they it was it was a core But that's what band. gigantic is. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at is sort of saying, like, you know, you can have, um, you're in in any given band, you have like uh, a couple of people who obviously aren't second fiddles, and then maybe you have a multiple, uh, a multitude of people who could be second fiddles. It really depends on yeah. who steps forward to to take. Well, their it's role. like, I mean, I guess when I was talking about Husker Du, I was thinking, you know, the Beatles had Lennon and McCartney, and then. George Harrison starts creeping up from behind, and uh, there's only one second fiddle in that band, though, and that's Ringo. (laughs) (laughs) It does does feel that way. I mean, it's just sort of like uh, you know, he and he does sing all the songs that you love as a four year old. (laughs) Literally, he is. Yeah, that is like the kiddie mixtape right there. Is like you know, uh, like Yellow Submarine, basically. Didn't Didn't he host a kids show when you were a kid? Oh no, he was the uh, he was the engineer on Shining Time Station, or what was it called, Thomas the Tank Engine, Shining Time Station. I can't remember. I think it was. Oh, was he really? He, yeah, he but he played like he he wore sunglasses and had an earring, um, nice. which is for the record why I thought he was called Ringo Starr for the first like twelve years of my life. <laughs> um, but no, that's serious. That's not a joke. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, but less about my childhood, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I and but and then there's you know I mean and just to throw another sort of wrinkle another facet into this there's um, you know the the sort of duos where there was one dominant uh, individual whether it was you know Sonny and Cher uh, or uh, you know Hall and Oates or uh, see but I put those in vocal bands again I mean Simon a little bit where Loggins and Messina. Yeah. So oh God, okay, but please, but no. so <laughs> stipe, um, no, but uh, this is yeah exactly this is uh, this is Jeremy's nerve I think but um, oh yeah d- actually sorry didn't you have a 
a good uh, login to Messina story? Uh, I have a, a quick one that I'll, I'll recount, but I, my introduction to them, because I, I did not hear them growing up, thank God, was on a hiking trip. I did one of those uh, fancy hiking trips as a kid where we had guided tours out in California, and I um, I had two really obnoxious 20-year-old counselors, and at the time I was into, you know, Sonic Youth and, and good music and, and was trying to get them to play it in the car and they were like, no, we're going to play Loggins and Messina. <laughs> I was just so so mad that like these people are these people are 20 and you know, and they're listening to this garbage. But um, I did get my revenge because the, the hippie, you know, sort of beefy woman that took us around the mountains um, ended up wiping with poison ivy and having to evacuate our tour. <laughs> so it was... Uh, uh, I think uh, uh, Loggins and Messina. I think Kenny Loggins did that so to her. You can't hear House at Pook Corner without starting to itch. Uh, without, <laughs> yeah, without thinking about wiping with itchiness. But no. Um, now, one of my most hated bands, though, on earth since from that trip. Well, um, so with there's the two also, person thing, though, it's like not all, yeah, to the two person thing, though, not all of them are vocal bands, right? Like, so Sonny and Cher, sure. And like, that to me is the quintessential like 50 50 split because every goddamn song they did was a duet, right? Um, no, it was it was no, it was Cher's. You know, Cher was the star, and Sonny was, you know. But I wouldn't think of them when you when, <laughs> when both your name when both your names are the are the band name. I don't think yeah. it's a second fiddle situation. So, but but no, I was just yeah. thinking of like a good example of this, and not that I love like the late era heart stuff, but like in the you know when the eighties rolled around or whatever, and like Nancy Wilson started singing and did like these dreams. Um, like those to me are second fiddle songs because that was she her never. Only, that was that was a serious second fiddle song because yeah, that's definitely okay. And else was definitely the same. And she brought them back from the dead basically with that song as well. I guess they're not quite a two person group, but they kind of are, right? Like they're the only it's two a, people who ever appeared on the album cover. It's like well, I yeah, think it's, you have interchangeable other members of that band. It's sort of the same dynamic going back to you know Mick and Keith. Uh, and you know, or or the Aerosmith with Joe Perry and Steven Tyler. It's sort of like they, you know, they were always a band, but everybody knows who the front, everybody knows who the two, uh, you know, stars in the band are. And yeah, but the difference is that everybody can also probably name at least a few other Rolling Stones, and I don't know anybody who can name any other member of Heart. <laughs> no, actually, you're right. Never mind. <laughs> Again, I'm back. I think two. <laughs> I think two uh, close examples of that, though, are the Kinks and Oasis, where you actually have a brother duo, but one was certainly the front man, and then the other was kind of the side man. Side so man, in the Kinks, yeah. you had and the Black Dave Davies. Yep, singing Strangers and Death of a Clown. And Death of a Clown, which was actually a pretty big hit for the Kinks. And then, you know, Oasis, Noel doing Don't Look Back in Anger. And oh, yeah. I, honestly, that's a band that I had I could not tell the difference, uh, you know, if Noel was singing or Liam. But it's, um, you know, Again, it's Noel, one of Noel those. Wrote and, and arranged everything. Yep. And then, you know, Liam came in as a singer. So it's another weird dynamic. But, um, yeah, Kinks, uh, Oasis, Black Crows with the Robinson didn't, Brothers. Didn't, uh... I guess all the Ramones weren't actually. No, none of them. Were. <laughs> Damn it! O- only on T-shirts and logos. Well, Dee did Warthog. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Dee Dee did Warthog and Endless Vacation. But one of the actually that that's another. Uh, I mean, a, a, the more benign, um, less uh, sort of uh, contentious version of that is the is the Bee Gees, who really just sang together on almost every song. But there was a lead. And two backing vocalists, it seemed like. Um, that's kind of a interesting. Uh, I guess that was the Australian version of the Power Trio. <laughs> that, 
That's Wynn's obsession with the Bee Gees coming out. <laughs> all right, all right. So I've been I've been cranking away here. All right, let's recap notes. where we are. Yeah, yeah. Let, I want to. Well, we let's, let's, let's take a quick let's take a quick break. Let's take a quick break, and then uh, and then I'll I, I need a couple more minutes to actually to hammer out this extraordinarily complicated definition of <laughs> Christian's, what a the, bro- Christian's is. the brother that went yeah. to college. So it was, it was it was simple before you got here. Yeah, obviously the youngest one is is being shafted and told to take notes. Um, so uh, anyway, we'll we'll do a quick break and then uh, and then recap the definition. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, today we're talking second fiddles, and uh, Christian, I think you've I think you've kind of put your a finer point on this now. Yeah. Um, so, without further ado, uh, our our definition of second fiddles is that it is a secondary person in a band, not the lead singer. Um, it, the second fiddle song needs to be a good song, uh, so not you know B side schlock. Um, and we wouldn't want a whole album of it necessarily. Um, now, a second fiddle song, except uh, is not um, a, a person or band that is named Christine McVie or George Harrison or Ben Orr or Carl Barat or the Mamas and the Papas or the Bee Gees or X or the Eagles or the B-52s or early period Who's Could Do, but maybe the Beach Boys. Exactly. <laughs> you got it. Cool. So moving right. on. Um, <laughs> We've got a new segment, uh, this podcast. We are starting something that we are going to continue um, on every podcast uh, going forward. And this is going to be a sort of, um, it's, we call it the 100 top 10 songs of all time. Uh, 110 best songs of all time, sorry. And um, basically it is going to be our never-ending playlist. We're going to add three songs every podcast and... Um, eventually, uh, we will build the greatest uh, playlist of all time. 
And with that, I will, I'll throw it out to you, Christian. Uh, name your first song that you want to put on the 110 best songs of all time. All right, so, uh, so I think the first song I will throw on here, um, because I'm being put on the spot and forgot about this segment altogether, um, <laughs> is going to be 4th of July, Philadelphia, Sandy by Cymbal Z Guitars. Ooh, very, yeah. nice. very nice. Off, it's uh, it's off the album Pretty Years, which uh, which of course made our. Um, it also has the distinction of being the song that I listened to most recently before we started recording, um, so it's fresh in my mind. But um, basically, it's uh, it's yeah, it's off Pretty Years, and this this was one of our favorite albums of the year, and, and made our um, best of 2016. So I love it. Um, and I think it totally rips. Cool. So I'm going to stick with the uh, second fiddle's theme, and I'm going to go with one of my all-time favorite Stone songs, and that's uh, probably my favorite Keith song, which is Before They Make Me Run Off Some Girls. Which is an obvious second fiddle song. It is the best second fiddle Sorry, song. Let me, let me just type that out. <laughs> obvious second fiddle song is... <laughs> <laughs> just apply the definition. Didn't you go to college? Yeah. Um, so my... my uh, um, first nominee for the ten best, uh, the ten best songs of all time, the hundred ten best songs of all time, is uh, Joy Division's "Level Terrace Apart." Um, very succinctly, it's probably my favorite song. Uh, and I was going big and classic, so I did actually know this segment was coming up and and came prepared. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're gonna end this pod the way we end every pod which is a very simple question uh which is what are you listening to christian what are you listening to well uh again i'm gonna say jeremy should kick this one off (laughs) all right well i'm uh semi-prepared here but um what have i been listening to i have two things that i'll mention so first is a throwback to 2003 and it's a Denton, Texas band called Centromatic, one of my kind of favorite bands in my mid-20s, and uh, the album Love You Just the Same, and um, Will Johnson led singer-songwriter from Denton, who kind of assembled different different musicians for each each record, and it's just a, it's a great kind of pop rock um, record that has just, it's kind of a unique sound, and I don't think they ever really crack the indie mainstream too much but they're one of those staples that that certainly have been around i think will johnson still tours quite a bit and then the second thing is uh you know as i'm going to take some some shit here from from the the children hating lewis brothers but i've been reading a book with my daughters called uh the wild robot which is also um wyndham's signature dance move during any wedding he's attended (laughs) And uh, it's a Peter Brown book. Peter Brown's an illustrator and writer from Brooklyn. He's done a bunch of picture books that I kind of grew up reading to my daughters, and this is his first novel, and it's just really good, you know, really clever, and uh, I love the guy's illustration. So um, I'm going uh, remedial and doing the children's book. Nice. Okay. Um, so, well, I'll start with, uh, start with the last show I saw, which was, um, last night actually. Um, and yes, I couldn't remember that, uh, five, five seconds ago because, um, <laughs> this really does illustrate the point though of what are you listening to, which is the fact that like, it's the one question, it, it, it's a question it just causes oh. you, like it causes my memory to melt away. I'm just like, I don't. I'm the, the only thing I'm going to be able to tell people I'm listening to for the next, like, six months is that damn children's book that you just mentioned, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, no, if you, were a ca- if you were a spy and you were captured, I mean, the worst <laughs> possible yeah, question, exactly. or the best possible question would be, like, what are you, what are you listening to these days? I don't. Like, um, uh, <laughs> uh. 
Um, but so, yeah, so last night anyway, we, I, we saw, uh, went and saw Level Up uh, open for Cloud Nothings. And I got to say, so first of all, I thought like Level Up had a great, great set. Um, and it was really exciting to see them play for, uh, for a room that size at, at Webster Hall. Um, and they were clearly pretty pumped about it. Uh, lots of friends and family there, it looked like. Um, and, and, you know, full for, for the second half of their set. Um, big fans of those guys. Uh, they're, you know, two of them also set up double, double whammy records here in, in Brooklyn, but their, um, their album in 2016 was again, another, uh, a big favorite of mine. Um, so, uh, then Cloud Nothings came on. I, you know, absolutely like a great set, um, incredibly tight. Also, uh, Jason Garrett's like his, um, First of all, I had a Lucite drum kit, which I really like. Um, but uh, but he is just—he's one of the best drummers I've seen. I mean, honestly, he's just one of the best drummers I've seen live in a long time. Um, so that was a that was a ton of fun. Um, and then otherwise, I've been uh, I've been going through my thirty-three and a third collection, um, digging out old titles, and uh, Abba Gold um, is the most recent one to come up. So uh, so I've I've just cracked that in the last uh, last two days, and I will I will let you know what I think. Have you ever read Abigail before? Is this a reread or? No, I haven't read that one. Oh, well. yeah, I'm psyched to uh, psyched right. to psyched to open it. Nice. Well, I've been uh, feasting on a great book uh, this uh, week called "The Association of Small Bombs," which um, by Karan Mahajan, and um, I uh, it's it's a phenomenal book. It's a it's a book about a, a bomb that goes off in in a market and in uh, Delhi and India and just every person that's affected by it in a, in a really deep and interesting way. It's, it's great storytelling. It's not, um, you know, sort of a preachy, um, you know, it's got a, a sort of Tom Wolf quality of being able to look inside people's brains and see the things that they want you to see and also see the things that they desperately don't want you to see, the petty jealousies and things that they don't want you to see. Um, it's, it's pretty extraordinary, uh, but I'm only halfway through. So giving that a big recommendation. Uh, and then also, Christian, I went to see a band called Active Bird Community uh, last weekend in Brooklyn. And ABC. It was one of the more... ABC. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was one of the more fun shows I've seen, and certainly one of the more fun shows I've seen in, in Brooklyn, um, just because it, it felt... It took me back, you know, it sort of felt like a... A college, I mean, it is a college band that was playing locally, so they're a Fordham University band, and um, you know, but it took me back to sort of going going to school further out, further afield than New York City. They were playing, a, a, uh, actually, they were playing Ridgewood, Queens at Transpecos, but it was more that the place was just jammed with people who knew every word to every song. Uh, not a band that's widely known yet, so that's kind of a tri- you know, sort of a, a tribute to what they've done. The crowd that travels uh, for them, yeah. Campus. No, it was it was very cool. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I haven't seen anybody get a get a crowd rocking like that. I mean, not to not to speak ill of the the local music scene. Obviously, it turns out a ton of extraordinary talent, but um, no, but you don't see that kind enthusiasm. of concentration of yeah, that kind of that unbridled enthusiasm and and also the willingness to to show that enthusiasm. Uh, Within the the parameters of the, of the boroughs, I like it. it. It was fantastic, and I think they're a really good band. So that's what I've been listening to, and I think that about does it for this evening. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll be writing right. the Wikipedia entry for Second Fiddles uh, sometime in the next several days, and um, yeah. otherwise, yeah, look out for us next yeah. week. The, the ever changing. 
See you next time. Thanks so much. Yep. Later. Bye-bye. That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damian Kendall for producing, and from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian, see you next time.